<laughs> so I was in there talking to my boss about um, whatever project I've been given to do. And he has like a very plain office with like a drawing that his kids did on the wall and like, like, like whatever standards and shit. And then just this actually on the wall. He's got like a he's got his own wall. he's got his own office yeah. and it's a little office like a little booth kind of thing. So yeah, just like stuck on a wall. Right. Um, that's really loud. I'm um, it. And so, <laughs> is that because your headphones are plugged in? <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, but the only uh, the only personal decoration really he has on his wall is way up high, like up there, yeah. an A four. He's pointing really high. <laughs> an A four color printout of Bono. Fuck. Like off an inkjet printer. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Played to the point where it looks like a joke. Man is a psycho. <laughs> it looks like that a is joke. fucking. <laughs> and you two are coming to Australia human. soon, so like as a point of conversation, while he was looking at his computer for something, I said, "Oh, are you um, are you a fan of you two, or is that just like an unironic Bono Bono picture?" And he was like, um, "Mad fan." I didn't accidentally say ironic boner, by the way, when I was talking to it. <laughs> it was nice. just for you. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like, "Is are you actually a fan, or is that just a weird joke that you've got a picture of Bono way up high on the wall, like two, three meters up in the air?" <laughs> and he goes, "No, I like you too." And I'm like, "Oh, are you seeing them when they come to Australia next year?" And he was like, "What?" <laughs> he goes, "Oh, I hadn't heard about that. Are they, they're coming, are they?" And they go, "Yeah," and uh, uh, and Noel Gallagher's supporting it. He goes, "Fuck." <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he said like oh I don't really like their, their new stuff as much and I went they play Joshua Tree in full <laughs> he goes yeah I'd, uh, I would have gone to that <laughs> and then he was just froze and stared at his computer you just ruined his day and fucked off out of there man <laughs> he like stared at his computer and he still found what he was looking for <gasps> nice good shit <laughs> that is good shit. Um, yeah, right. Man. And he was like, and I said, so if you, if you found that, uh, uh, I sort of said, can you find the story? And he goes, yeah, you uh, really threw me with that. <laughs> Just give me a second. Oh. <laughs> Just like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you ready? Are you hanging on the edge of your seat? <laughs> hey. Are you ready for this? <laughs> Fuck. ASMR queen. I'm just a Steve. little silhouette of romance. <laughs> romance, romance. <laughs> Steve Fox slowed it down the street. <laughs> Fat bottom girls, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't no sound but the sound of his feet. Machine guns wearing and go. <laughs> Another <laughs> one buys the dust. There <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Once again aboard Beef Station, join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. Let's get stuck into Took it. Took a big swig while you were midway through <laughs> that. Boy, that was a race to the bottom. This is our movie podcast. Our film radio show. Film radio show. I was trying to do alliteration, but I couldn't think of anything fast enough. Jesus. Yeah, you failed at every, every hurdle. This, of course, um, every week Andrew and I... Uh, Give you a spoiler-free review of either a new movie that's out, some weird obscurity on Netflix, or an old classic. This week we've chosen Ari Aster's 2019 second feature directorial film. You're a wizard, Ari. 
<laughs> Midsommar. Midsommar. His new sort of horror suspense thriller film all about a group of 20-something friends from America that go to... A group of 20-something-year-old friends. There's like four of them. There's <laughs> fucking 30 of them. There's <laughs> <laughs> 30 protagonists. This film is <laughs> fucked. No, we're not watching Cloud Atlas. We're watching Midsommar. Um... It's about sort of uh, four or five uh, Amer- friends from America that go to Sweden to go on a holiday for a couple of weeks, enjoying this uh, sort of once in a lifetime opportunity to observe the Midsummer Festival that one of their friends' sort of small village puts on once every 90 years or something. Um, obviously, sort of shit doesn't go according to plan because it's an Ari Aster movie. <laughs> um, That's his real subversion. Everything goes perfectly. <laughs> So it's, yeah, and then sort of they a, go home. It's got a bit of a, a Wicker Man kind of feel to it in several ways. Oh, it's this been feels labeled, pretty fucking Wicker Man. <laughs> it's been labelled as like a folk horror, which I sort of see what they mean. A lot of it takes place in this cutesy paradise-looking village during the daytime, and then shit sort of starts to go awry. We'll cover that later. Ari. We'll, Master. <laughs> oh, sorry. Shit starts to, starts go, Ari. to go Ari. <laughs> uh, we'll cover that a bit later in the in, in the show. We're going to give you a spoiler-free review and then open up for a bit of a uh, a, b- a bit of a bit of a spoilery ending. We'll give mm. you a fair warning before the spoilers hit, though. Uh, before we get into that, the boy, of course, we dive into a bit of beefness or pleasure for the week. Uh, now, of course, every week we have some very serious beefness to attend to. This week we've uh, prepared extensive research and notes on Midsommar. Midsommar. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> But of course, you know, every week, we like to have a bit of time to ourselves, stretch out on the couch and uh, whack out the iPad Pro, download the Hulu app and watch several seasons of The West Wing. And Hulu my fucking guts <laughs> out. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, we, we like to have a bit of a pleasurable pl- pleasurable yeah. me time. We like, we, to we're do, not just we like to do business, we like to have fun. Exactly. So in this week's segment of beefness or pleasure, we're going to talk about a bit of the stuff we had a bit of time to do in our leisure time and a bit of our off time this week mm-hmm. um andrew have you got anything that you had, had any spare time to, to catch up with this week nope have oh. you no okay news uh, yep beef bullet get a couple of them out of the way uh straight out of the way um Push them to the side and get the real <laughs> news in front of me. <laughs> After a big quarter three loss, Disney... Ha- I'm going to read straight from Variety here. Disney has confirmed that big changes are coming to the Fox film division. Uh, they are... We're going to kill Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> they are axing a majority of existing films that have been developed under the Fox logo, uh, under the Fox Studios branding that they, of course, own. That are being developed. Yeah. Shit. Currently, a majority of all films being developed by Fox are being axed by Disney. Does that after they Fox had a, Searchlight? Uh, no. So... If it doesn't um, include Fox Searchlight, this is only a good thing. Yeah, I don't know. So, I th- it, it doesn't, no. Um, so... Woo! <laughs> we did it! Uh, they apparently lost... A, a, Fox Fox was operating at a hundred and seventy million dollar loss in the third in the most recent third quarter. Oh, I'm sure that'll show up on their tax returns. Uh, it's people on Reddit are mostly blaming it on the X Men uh, Dark Phoenix movie that was apparently <laughs> fucking <laughs> yeah. terrible. Yeah, yeah. That made some uh, top ten biggest disappointments of the first half of the year lists that I listened to. Yeah, it made the one 
top ten worst films of the first half of the year <laughs> list. Was <laughs> that that, that um, Mark, uh, Mark, Mark Kermode Kermode. one? I love I love that guy throwing shade on anything. Yeah. Um, Marvel Studios head Kevin Feige is going to be inheriting all of the Fox X Men type stuff. So because because of course Fox Men. But of course, they're not going to be cancelling everything. They're going to get their Home Alone reboot, their Night at the Museum sequel, their Cheaper by the Dozen reboot, and their live-action version of Diary of a Wimpy Kid. So there is no God, clearly. Oh, fucking Christ for all of that. <laughs> See, Macaul- Macaulay Culkin put up a fucking fantastic Twitter pic today of what an actual reboot of Home Alone would look like. And it's no. like him sitting on the couch with a fucking... Beer gut spilling out with like three ready-made meals <laughs> around him. <laughs> His hair yeah. tied back with a bandana. It's very good shit. That's good shit. Um, oh, no, I, I found. I thought I had a specific list of like which films that affects, but I don't think we have it. Uh, so sorry. Um, I don't think that affects the Fox Searchlight stuff. Though. I remember seeing that on Reddit that Fox Searchlight and the X Men stuff are one of the only things that's getting like a reprieve from that. Like. Uh, <laughs> like genocide of movies that's happening over at Fox. How good's genocide, by the way? Um, mm. <laughs> Taika Waititi. Wait, what did you just say? I nah, agree to fine. it. <laughs> <laughs> Hello to all future oh, employers. Oh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> before Taika Waititi uh, gets stuck into Thor 4, or <laughs> Thor. The, his, the, the Thorth. I need, we, we really need to buy pop filters so we can do bits like this. <laughs> If that doesn't get the donations flooding in, I don't know what will. Buy me a pop filter (laughs) if you don't want me to do this ever again. (laughs) That's it. Make it like a hostage situation. (laughs) We will run this podcast further into the ground. Um, No, this is good. Tell your friends. Um, He is attaching himself to a... He's going to write and direct an untitled new project for Fox Searchlight. Mm. So he's doing the new Thor movie. He's doing the Jojo Rabbit <laughs> Isn't Hitler that movie. Directly related to the story that we're, you're yeah, like, yeah. fuck, I've got to find this on Reddit. Anyway, <laughs> on the next story, Taika Waititi's doing a new movie for Fox Searchlight. <laughs> no, you think, idiot. I think Fox Searchlight is safe. Um, <laughs> I know Fox Searchlight's safe. Right. You just told me Taika Waititi's doing a fucking movie for them. <laughs> oh, that's going to be dated after. This, 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 this is a non linear news segment. I'll keep it Chronological news only, please. <laughs> oh, God. You're going to have to give me two hours, bro. Um, all right, uh, Israel and Palestine. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Fuck me! Oh what god. is going on? <laughs> Sorry, the train wreck. It's an autoplay auto video. My phone wasn't on silent. Can you tell I'm a I'm an amateur podcaster? No, it's because you were fucking blaring out, <laughs> blaring out <laughs> us listening to our cold open in order to warm up for another cold open. <laughs> That's how we do it. We just yeah. we psych ourselves up by listening to ourselves. Ourselves the like Kanye West blasting his Come own on. album. Come on, Rick. <laughs> Come on. Um, Warner Brothers has announced that Denis Villeneuve's Dune has been delayed from November twentieth to December the eighteenth, twenty twenty. I yeah. Okay. Yep. Great. So, <laughs> okay. is what is that? Is that deliver that be like? I anticipate that in two years I'm gonna need another three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like you could have just said the last one. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think anyone really would have cared. I bet they didn't need to put an official release about that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So change the reminder in your calendar. No, I imagine what it's more about is like what films it's competing against. Mm, uh, so when, when it comes out in December, it's going to compete because that's the week before Boxing Day. Actually, that's a weird time to re- to release a movie. Mm. Um, 
It's gonna it's gonna be competing against uh, a film film we've never heard of, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, and that Sony Uncharted movie that we heard about. Oh fuck with yeah, Spider Man in it. Oh actually, um, okay. Harking back for two seconds. No. In terms of beefness or pleasure, I did. This is a strictly linear film. <laughs> I did play. Uh, I finished the third Uncharted remaster on PS4. I haven't played anything but the fourth one, but the fourth one was so fun. Oh, they're good. all really good games. Listeners, if you own a PS4 and you like Indiana Jones style action movies, <laughs> with I guess still like mid 2000s humor, we've recommended Uncharted before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good games. Finish I, them. I went in on Uncharted because it was the newest one, so I figured it'll be the, it'll be the best one, and mm. no one cares mm. about like story. Oh yeah, for sure. Not why um, I this game. Also announced by Warner Brothers is that this Elvis. Biopic is real, and if you're not sick of biopics in 2021, October the 1st, 2021, is when the Elvis biopic's coming out. It's directed by Baz Luhrmann, which I actually think is a good sign of it being an interesting biopic. Well, no, because The Great Gatsby was good, I think, in its own stylized, That's true. crazy no, I, way. I loved that movie. I think it's the only good thing he's ever done. I disagree. I think that The Moulin Rouge is brilliant. Haven't seen it. It's really good. I think that Strictly Ballroom is very good. Also haven't seen it. Great. He's a really good director. Um, And I think that... like I I did watch Australia. I haven't seen Australia, but I I think that if anything, he's got a really good life of visual aesthetic. Um, and the sort of I visual... I think Ari Aster has a really good eye for visual aesthetic. Well, no, I, mean I like think Baz Luhrmann is a Hollywoodist. I think Baz Luhrmann's production design is really good, and I think that often for, the, for, for Moulin Rouge and Strictly Ballroom, they're both films yeah, that feel like... A, a, a cinematographic adaptation of a musical. I don't know if, I don't know if either of them are, but they feel that way, and in that way, it feels like you're watching a Broadway show in the movie. And he does a really good job of that. I think I haven't watched either of those films since I was like sixteen. But Strictly Ballroom is a fucking banger, man. That's a real good movie. Um, I'm looking forward to it, if only because I have a passing fondness for Elvis and I think that if anyone wasn't going to fuck it it seems like Baz Luhrmann would do a passable job yeah he did Romeo plus Juliet right yeah yeah so he did that in Australia and I hate both of those films that just an well, un- see, the th- just an undeserved passion well the thing is though that Romeo plus Juliet I can see why people would like it as being like a um a really interesting and unique Gritty interpretation. Reboot. Well, no, it's not a gritty reboot. I think that's unfair. I think that's unfairly like minimizing how cool it is as like a modern adaptation. Like you mm. might not like the way he's adapted it. In the same way as like I don't like watching Shakespeare shit. That's like, oh, we put them in suits and they're holding iPads and that's now modern thing. I don't really <laughs> often like the way that people try and like jazz up and modernize Shakespeare. I, I plus I'm or a minus big fan a few decades. That's exactly what he did because he yeah. didn't change the dialogue at all. Well, no, I, yeah, exactly. So I, I, I'm a big fan of just like watching Shakespeare, where like everyone looks like they live in the Vatican. David Tennant's like Hamlet, shit. perfect adaptation of Shakespeare for me. Is yeah. nothing. It was a modern aesthetic, but not a modern setting. My point is though, I think that visually and in terms of set design and in terms of the interpretation of the the, the set. Source material. The source material. I think that Romeo plus Juliet is really cool, mm. and it's a really cool, unique. It's it, it's not like I think the reason why we hate these biopics recently is they feel like cookie cutter bullshit, and I think that most of the films we've done that I've seen haven't felt like cookie cutter bullshit, right? And like it, it feels yeah. like he's shown like The Great Gatsby was a weird, crazy interpretation of that story, and Romeo and Juliet was a, a crazy interpretation of that story. I would like to think that his Elvis movie will be more on the side of that and less on the side of Australia, where it'll be a crazy, surreal almost interpretation of the Elvis story that is what I had hoped Rocket Man would be. Mm. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, look, I mean, 
I I I, I rib him. We get we you know we we joke with with each other, me and Baz Luhrmann. Um, but I really did love Great Gatsby. I'm not really sure what exactly I hated about Romeo plus Juliet quite so much. To be fair, and you're gonna throw something at me. I also really didn't like Romeo plus Juliet. But my point is <laughs> that I like the pr- in principle. I like the idea of yeah. It, it's you know a good it idea. It's, I I look forward to that aesthetic being applied to a subject that interests me. Right. Which is why I liked the other films I mentioned, plus this Elvis one looks exciting. I would enjoy uh, Clockwork Orange style sticking you in front of Australia and yeah. just like, I don't know, <laughs> seeing whether or not you came out of it like, oh, I was all right, or like... Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I was the latter. You know Dylan and Cole... Uh, Do you know uh, Dylan? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is Bob Dylan again. Um, no, you know the sweet life of Zach and Cody? Those dudes... Cole and Dylan Sprouse want to work together again, but not as twins. Yeah. <laughs> I got bad news for you, Cole and Dylan Sprouse. <laughs> <laughs> bad news for that pair of twin siblings, Cole and Dylan Sprouse. <laughs> what if there was a movie where these two dudes play different characters in a movie, just completely different characters, and they weren't related? <laughs> two dudes that look fucking identical. Oh, they're identical. identical <laughs> okay. Uh, in fairness, the article goes on to say that like they don't mean like oh what if, what if Cole played some random character and I played some other random character. They're talking about like one of them thinks they'd be a good cinematographer and the other one thinks he'd be a good writer or whatever and they'd be happy to work together. But like, right. I would love to have a movie where identical twins get independently cast in separate roles. That's good shit. <laughs> <laughs> and just never bring it up. Never bring it up. <laughs> yeah, like no, exactly. one of them's a car mechanic and the other one's a businessman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what if it was in. what if it was Fight Club but they're played by Fuck. <laughs> <That> <laughs> identical twins. Yeah. That would make the twist so confusing. Yeah. Like, wait, were they supposed to be different people the whole time? <laughs> It's like Ben Mendelsohn playing a completely different character to the character he voices. Just like, are they the same fucking character? Like, no, they're not. We were just saving money. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so I found... Uh, what Wouldn't it be fucking wild <laughs> if they recruited both of them to play the same character, but they swapped between scenes? So you just, you're Fuck, like, that would be good. He looks slightly fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, his voice changed a tiny That's little. really good. And he's in the... Um, and the benefit to them would be that they w- only ha- only half of them have to rock up to set each day. The Mitchell and Webb look sketch where they have to like one of them plays Shakespeare, uh, one of them plays um, uh, Watson, and the other one plays Holmes. <laughs> they get into an argument about who gets to play who, so they swap every camera shot. <laughs> That's a good fucking idea. great sketch. But yeah, that'll be good with these guys too, like Batman and Robin. But they can't fucking agree on who gets to play who, so they swap you outfits every notice. time. It would be. It would take you yeah, three, that's the best part. It would take you three <laughs> Why view- did you need to swap? <laughs> it would take you three viewings to notice that it was a sketch. <laughs> <laughs> like this sketch costs three hundred million dollars. <laughs> Cause we had to breed a genetically perfect clone of Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, there's yeah, there's a second Danny DeVito playing the penguin. <laughs> so um Speaking of Danny DeVito playing the Penguin, Nicolas Cage gave a pretty whack interview in the New York Times magazine just recently, and I think it's got enough crazy quotes that I might just go through and mine it for all it's worth. Great. So the the, the writer sort of introduces it 
by sort of talking about how Nicolas Cage has made a name for himself by being this whack, like, anti-naturalistic acting kind of dude, and he's crazy, and people don't really know what he's about. So why has he done all these things? I sat wondering in a private room at a small Italian restaurant not far from the Las Vegas Strip. <laughs> hey, this is needless editorializing. Cage is a, Cage is a walking why. <laughs> a performer who sees possibilities in art that no one else does. And then the door to the room swung open and in flew Cage, hoping to provide some answers. On this day, he's wearing oversized sunglasses, a dragon ring the size of a walnut, a black velvet leather jacket, a black velvet jacket, and a Bruce Lee t-shirt. He explained that he's busy preparing for a trip to the TIFF, not the Toronto International (laughs) Film Festival, he clarified. The one in Transylvania. Not Toronto. (laughs) Transylvania. I'm going to the Transylvanian Film Festival. <laughs> Transylvania International <laughs> Film Festival. <laughs> I think this is going to be better if I go for a Nicolas Cage impression the whole time. So. Okay, well, we'll both just fucking have at it then. <laughs> I'm not Stravinsky. I'm not Van Gogh. I'm not Monk. I'm not Monet. But these people were not understood. And my not favorite DiCaprio. artists were misunderstood. He then scanned the menu and asked in a bemused tone that suggested... <laughs> that comes up before he's looking at the menu. He's like, <laughs> I'll never be Picasso. Which sandwich am I going to He scans the menu. I said, I'm not Van Gogh. My favorite artist will misunderstood. He scans the menu and then <laughs> asked in a bemused tone that suggests he was simultaneously questioning the waitress, me, and the universe. Could I get into the Branzino? <laughs> what? <laughs> what is Branzino? I'm going to assume that it's like Italian food. It is. Hell yeah. Um, so my favorite bit... It is a European bass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, physically, can I get inside the bass? <laughs> I like How to think of myself... me will the bass fit? I am a fish explorer. <laughs> um... So uh, I'm going to read again straight out here. I'm just going to straight up rip out of the New York Times magazine his answers to these questions. To being a young man who is insecure about money, color your attitude about buying things and what success looks like. (laughs) You have good investments and bad investments. (laughs) (laughs) For example... Stocks go up, stocks go down. It's Fugazi. It's fairy action, dust. Action Comics number one. I bought that for $150,000. <laughs> Fuck. Then it was stolen. <laughs> I got it back and sold it for $2 million. I got it back? <laughs> what? Beat some dude to a Did he pot. buy a different one or did he hire a fucking hitman? You don't know which one it is. We'll never get answers to. <laughs> the funny thing is... My real estate buying spree was what the was <laughs> was what the real problem was. It wasn't these other things like buying shrunken heads that the media like to talk about. <laughs> Journalist asks, "Oh, that dinosaur skull? Yeah, or an octopus? Yeah, the dinosaur skull. <laughs> what is an octopus? Eighty dollars? You're not gonna go and." <laughs> <laughs> You're not gonna. It's an octopus. <laughs> How much could it cost? Eighty dollars. <laughs> You're not gonna go into dire straits buying an octopus. The dinosaur skull was an unfortunate thing because I did spend <laughs> two hundred and seventy-six thousand dollars on that. <laughs> this is not made up, dude. All right. You gotta stop listing specific prices because <laughs> this is a new game of how much did Nicolas Cage pay for this oh, item? That's the last thing he lists. Fuck! Um, 
I bought it. So he, bought, he spent $276,000. This ring. Guess how much this ring cost me? Dude. $8 in a market. <laughs> Guess how much this jacket cost me? $500 million. <laughs> Dude, this rocks. This is, this is real shit. This is... Oh, man. So he spends $276,000 on dinosaur skull. I bought it at a legitimate auction and then found out it was abducted from Mongolia illegally. And I had to give it back. Of course, it should be awarded to the oh, country wow. of origin. Who knew? Plus, I never got my money back, so that stank. Fucking hell, Nick! <laughs> Nick! Nicholas Cage, <laughs> the man from National Treasure, has a much better sense of ethics than the fucking British Museum does. Why do you speak about National Treasure? So that was the time. <laughs> so then he, he goes into reading and meditating and all that sort of shit. That was the time when I almost went on. You might call it a Grail quest. I started following mythology. I was finding properties that aligned with that. It was almost like national treasure. And uh, on top of which, I said, I'm going to get on philosophy because I became like a kite with a string, like a string, but no anchor. Um, <laughs> you I ever thought, heard of Wim Hof? <laughs> I where you freeze your balls <laughs> off and stop being conscious for eight hours at no, a time. No one could understand what I was talking about. And I thought people would rather see me as an orangutan than as an eagle meditating on the mountaintop. And the, the journalist goes... Um, <laughs> what the fuck is the journalist just like yeah man. <laughs> <laughs> like keep going <laughs> so, so like so the journalist says wait sorry so when you mean you're on a grail quest what do you mean <laughs> the journalist is like wait sorry hang on he's like I've never been a whale I've always been an orangutan eagle <laughs> <laughs> so, so the journalist is sort of like, so what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So when you say sort of grail quest and buying properties that align with that, sorry, what? Um, and he goes, yeah, so one thing would lead to another. It's like when you build a library, you read you, <laughs> you read a you book. Know how you build <laughs> libraries? <laughs> <laughs> you read a book, and in it there's a reference to another book. So you buy that book, and then you attach re the references. And in that book is a smaller book. And then that book is a smaller book again. It's like a babushka doll, but with books. That's a no, book I'm babushka doll. <laughs> you ever you ever eaten a babushka doll? Um, so for me, it was all about where is the Grail? Was it here? Was it there? Is it at Glastonbury? Does it exist? Is it at Glastonbury? Oh, okay. I thought you were being metaphorical about going on a Grail quest. No, Nicholas Cage literally went looking for the Holy Grail. <laughs> Yeah, so if you go to Glastonbury, you go to the Chalice Well. There's like a spring. The Chalice Well! There's a spring, and that does taste like blood. I guess it's really because there's a lot of iron in the water. I was, oh, fuck. I was just but, about to be like, that's because there's iron in the water. And it, he knows. Of course he knows. <laughs> but he legend, knows. But legend had it that, legend. that in that place was a grail chalice, or two cruets, rather, and one, one of blood and one of sweat. But that led to there being talk that people came to Rhode Island and that there are people looking for something there as well. So that's why you bought a property in Rhode Island? Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to say that's why I bought the Rhode Island property. <laughs> but I no, will say... Definitely going to appreciate. <laughs> but I will say that's why I went to Rhode Island and I happened <laughs> to find the place beautiful. What I ultimately find is, found is, what is the grail but Earth itself? Fuck, man. This interview is a gold mine, and it's like eight to ten pages Fuck. long. We got through what, like less than thirty percent of it, less than ten percent of it, man. Fucking hell! I might. I'll I'm have gonna to read that 
on my own time. Jesus Christ, it's so good. Um, but there's other shit where he talks, like the journalists will be like, so why were you crazy in that movie? And he's like, well, there's a Bruce Lee movie where he snorts cocaine off a glass thing, so that was really just a reference to that. And yeah, like, I feel like he's a little bit Bradley Cooper where you're like, oh, he's just like a bit of a... I don't know, like, he's a pretty good actor. And then Bradley Cooper will be like, no, in this I was channeling, like, this obscure French film from the 1954s. Like, yeah. (laughs) Man, how's this? (laughs) Have animals ever influenced your acting? Cobras, definitely. (laughs) 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 They try to hypnotize you by going side to side. So when... (laughs) Guess... Guess what movie he's going to talk about next? You can't. So I thought about that when I did Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. That's, <laughs> that's something my character does before he attacks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why fuck. Ghost Rider hisses and spits venom. <laughs> <laughs> Little known fact, but Ghost Rider actually has flaps on either side of his neck. They never get deployed in the film, and it's not really explored, but they're there. Fun, fun fact about Ghost Rider is that if he bites an adult, you'll be fine. It's the small children and elderly you got to be worried about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the risks of Ghost Rider are far overblown. <laughs> When no, I go, I, I bought property in Rhode Island because it was a smart decision. But if the Holy Grail was in one of the basements there, man, it would have been a sweet two for one. Oh it's got to be in one of these attics. <laughs> Fuck, this is way better value than I thought it was going to be. So good, man. Um. <laughs> I put this line in Mandy. The psychotic drowns where the mystic swims. You either have the proclivity to open up your imagination or you don't. If you have that propensity and are on camera about to do a scene, what would what would make you believe in what you're about to do? Say you're playing a demon biker with an ancient <laughs> spirit. <laughs> Say what? you're playing a <laughs> demon biker with an ancient spirit. <laughs> what power objects could you find that might trick your imagination? Would you find an antique from an ancient sar- ancient pyramid? Maybe a little sarcophagus that's a greenish color and looks like King Tut. Would you sew that into your jacket and know that it's right <laughs> next to you when, you when the director says action? Could you open yourself what? to that power? Those aren't rhetorical questions, are they? Right, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas Cage says when he filmed Mandy it was with a small, small green Tutankhamun-esque coffin sewn into his jacket. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Mandy's one of my favorite documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh my God. Right. So that's I di- unfucking believable. <laughs> I feel like previous guest Pat is going to get a lot of fucking mileage out of this article. <laughs> Um, uh, <laughs> a couple other quick news articles we can breeze I'll through. I'll be I think voting the ne- for Bernie Sanders. <laughs> 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 Shit. <laughs> um, Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho has finally gotten its release date. Oh, it's coming we out in 20... 20- we needed to finish with that, man. What the yeah. fuck else is going to be there? <laughs> oh, no, nothing. Um, the Edgar Wright's some <laughs> bullshit. Who cares? <laughs> the internet's blowing up about uh, the... Happy 30 to 50 wild. <laughs> 
feral hogs. <laughs> yeah, that uh, the, the the Little Mermaid live action actress is black, and surprise, surprise, the internet has a problem with that uh, because apparently now people care about um, perfect textual accuracy to the hands Christian Anderson oh indeed that's exactly what it was uh, yeah talks about her porcelain white skin yeah Um, luckily the actress seems to not give a fuck great um and I think that's about all I got. Ariel was white, <laughs> but uh, she was white. But en- but enough about the uh, the Nicholas Cage interview. <laughs> no, he's not racist. He's a great guy. No, I look. He, uh, yeah. Who the fuck knows what he said? Man, <laughs> dude's just operating on a different level of level of being. Yeah. Um, His third eye is wide open. Yeah, I think that's probably all I got, got for this week. Nicholas, <laughs> uh, Jim Carrey was asked about what he thought about the character backlash for the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Um, and he sort of said, oh, you know, sometimes the collective consciousness decides it wants something and you have to go, okay, great. Just roll with it. <clears throat> I actually completely agree. Yes. <laughs> so there you go. Um, I think the Nicolas Cage bit was the highlight of that news story. Yeah, I, I reckon I'm so. more than happy with leaving in 15 minutes of ours just <laughs> reading straight from that article. When you play a character for three <laughs> weeks with a rabbit's paw stuck in your butt crack <laughs> in order to channel its lucky energy. You think, is this what Ghost Rider would have done? It distracts <laughs> from whether or not you're going to want to order the clam chowder or the garden salad. Which do you think I should get? I like him asking. How much does a garden salad cost? Four hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> I'd rather have eighty thousand octopuses. Two dollars. <laughs> Is that with the tip? Calamari. I, I, I like. Oh. How could they? My favorite. My favorite part of that whole interview is is him not just asking. Could I get the the whatever it is the bronzino or like is it nice? Be like, do you think that I'd get into it? Like, if I was let to sit with it for a couple yeah. weeks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is this something I... <laughs> would the Branzino and I get along? Would we become friends? Would we sit either side of a campfire <laughs> drinking whiskey and be able to exchange stories about childhood? I need a Branzino. Wonder at what could have been. Maybe we're savoring a little more than the childhood. I need a Branzino that was prepared in October, considering my position on the belt of Orion. <laughs> Excuse me, is your... Branzino been fermented for six months in Sweden, or is it the uh, unconventional manner? Oh, it comes in a can? Cool, I'll take three. <laughs> it comes in a can? A what? <laughs> Fuck. This could go on for a long time. Let's, <laughs> let's cut the segment. Good shit. Um, so that was the news. A couple travels to Sweden to visit a rural hometown's <laughs> fabled Midsummer Festival. What, what begins as an idyllic retreat quickly devolves into an increasingly <laughs> violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult. Directed by Ari Aster. <laughs> we have to do this again. Uh, what, do you, what do you reckon? How many episodes would it take us for us to get zero downloads? Uh, <laughs> if not if even us to be like... I just can't listen to that. <laughs> if we just did a Nicolas Cage impression all day, every day, for every recording. But you'd have to take into account people that aren't listening. But maybe just maybe no more. Yeah. <laughs> you'd, have to, you'd have to take into account people that are like just setting it to auto-download and aren't listening. And yeah. one day they'll be like, I have 30 episodes of this? Nah, I'm unsubbing. Like, it yeah, might like, turn to 2020. When do they stop doing Nicolas Cage? When do they stop what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to skip to episode 112 before they start doing the <laughs> yeah. Nicolas Cage. They get pretty sick of it. Yeah. Oh man, good shit. Right. So, of course, this week, uh, 
we are covering Ari Aster's second feature length film called Midsommar. 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 Oi, Midsommar. Get over here. Midsommar. You, Oscar. It's the last one. So, of course, he covered a film that we covered very early on the podcast, sort of. I reckon it was episode seven or eight in our first ever spooktacular. Hereditary. Hereditary, yes. Um, a brilliant horror movie starring Tony Collette that came out just last year or the year before, actually. Last year. Um, terrifying film. Both you and I, I think, uh, pretty comfortable in saying it scared the shit out of us. Yeah, there are things in that film that will never leave my never leave my head. No. Nah, um, very... <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to need three hours. <laughs> very sus- no, 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 no. <laughs> very suspenseful. Very good at building suspense, um, but also just terrifying. Straight up terrifying, and it sort of goes straight off the edge of the cliff and into like a full-on horror movie. Uh, Midsummer is his second film. Uh, as we mentioned at the top of the show, it's about a group of sort of four or five twenty-something. Uh, men and women Anthropology who, students uh, Yeah, mostly anthropology students um, This dude is planning on going on a sort of boys trip to Sweden with his three friends from college um, They're all anthropology students and one of, their, one of the four is originally from Sweden from a small village um, that's more like a commune and he says like oh, every 90 years we have this midsummer festival where like the celebrations are especially uh, significant and like excellent. My understanding was this Midsummer Festival goes on every year, but every ninety years it's like a big deal festival. It's a feast. I think yeah. the feast happens every ninety years yeah. or some shit. Um, and so they're going to go along and observe this for its it was cultural. Probably in the subtitles, which we'll get into later. Oh fuck! Uh, yeah, who knows? Not me. I don't speak Swedish. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so they're, they're sort of going along, you know, for fun. It'll be a fun trip for a couple of weeks. But, you know, their anthropology is they're going to go and observe it and sort of learn what they can. Um, at the same time, his girlfriend of the main... The girlfriend of the main character goes through oh, quite a significant... I think the main character is the girlfriend. Sorry, of course. Right, no, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so at the same time, the, the main character is this young woman who is... The girlfriend date, of the dude. Yeah, dating one of these four dudes. And she goes through quite a significant personal tragedy at the start of the film. That means that this dude's been sort of talking about like wanting to dump her for a little while, and then this sh- crazy shit happens to her. I don't think we should mention because it's kind of a spoiler. Um, yeah, we'll get into it later, but not right yeah. now. Um, that means that he's like, well, fuck, I can't, re- I can't really. She's, she's got PTSD, really, and he yeah. like doesn't want to abandon her. I now. can't really dump her now, and it kind of <laughs> seems like maybe he's like, he was. Fuck, this yeah. is the worst timing. It kind of seems like maybe he was keeping this trip a secret from her because he was gonna. Planning, he was planning to have dumped her before this yeah. trip had even started. Yeah, and now she's like, "Oh, I can come along, right?" And he goes, y- "Yeah, yeah, we'd love to well, have you along." Yeah, he he offers because he feels bad, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, but she's not going to take it." Yeah. And then she's like, "Yeah, sure, I'd love to come." And he, he's exactly. like, "Oh, fuck." So the main character, this woman, Danny, is like fifth wheeling this four person, this this four man boys trip to Sweden. That's the whole movie. It's kind of they arrive. Within the first 15 to 20 minutes, in this like paradise, uh, green fields going on forever by a lake kind of little commune. It's like this clearing and rolling hills. Yeah, village in the middle of Sweden somewhere. Um, and that's the film. Shit starts to go awry. 
straight out of the gate, I had expected it to be more of like a horror movie than it was. What do you reckon? Did you have like any general impressions of the film? So I think a friend of the show that we saw it with, Liam, summarized this very well um, by saying that Hereditary was a film that built up. So it started by instilling a quiet sense of dread and foreboding. And it mm. built on that never relenting. It never, ever released the accelerator. It just slowly kept pushing it down. Up and so up and up and up and up. Greater and greater sense of, of this just uh, uh, awful, awful sense of dread for the whole film. And the last scene was the highest point at which yeah, you were as feeling it gets, As it's getting more and more horrifying the or, whole time. Or I guess at worst, maybe it had two of those processes. Right? Yeah. But uh, Midsummer has lots of peaks and troughs. Yeah. And I, it doesn't maintain that sense of tension and dread as much as Hereditary does. And it's not trying to, but yeah. it doesn't. And I felt like I enjoyed Hereditary so much because of how much it managed to kind of like hook me the yeah. whole fucking time and just like, grip me. You're watching the whole time like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Oh shit. Right. And there were moments in Hereditary, in, 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 there were moments in Midsummer that uh, felt like they were clever about how they dismantled that sense, but I also... Like breaking down the suspense almost. Yeah, but also like that's not necessarily why I'm in that theatre at this point in time because yeah, I, I know who Ari Aster is. So it was... <clears throat> it wasn't... I wouldn't say that it was less of a horror film because I think they were both uh, aiming to be horror films and they both achieved that, but I would say that one of those was meant to be constant horror and the other one was meant to be... Um, intermittent horror with perhaps perhaps a more complicated storyline. Yeah. Which required that backing off in order to kind of like facilitate more storytelling. Yeah, sure. I, I heard Mark Commode in his review recently describe it as less of going for a horror movie kind of feel. More that it was like a drama, like a suspenseful drama. And it sort of it's done by this horror director, so he does. Or we say horror director. He's done one movie, but like <laughs> you know, it was. I heard it described. It's more of like a a suspenseful thriller drama kind of thing. Almost like me thinking aloud now that it's kind of like a Gone Girl kind of thing, maybe. Well, that's really a drama, but it's got very suspenseful kind of thrillery kind of elements to it. <laughs> In the same way as this, I don't, I wouldn't put this as a thriller. I would say it's a very suspenseful drama, and it's got some gory stuff in it, but like. I, I think unless I don't think that's scary. I think that that might disgust you if you don't like gore. Yeah, but it I don't think it's scary. I don't want to. I don't want to stare at it, but it's not scary inherently. I think a lot of the psychological shit that happened in Hereditary was sort of the f the reason, obviously, why it's scary, and then the gore kind of like enhances it. Whereas in this, I don't. I don't know. The fact that it didn't seem like there was much psychological shit going on for me personally um, meant that I didn't really find it terrifying or anything. Something that I did notice that was similar to Hereditary, though, was a lot of the really great cinematography in the movie, a lot of, like, super close attention to detail, where in Hereditary, there was a lot of stuff where if you went back and watched a lady, you can do a lot of, like, oh, that's a reference to this, and oh, they hinted that that would happen later through this kind of foreshadowing, de foreshadowing detail, like, oh, if you look at the picture on the mantelpiece in the background there, that kind of shit. There's a lot of that in this movie as well, and that yeah, does a lot is. to sort of add to the suspense and add to the sort of sense of mystery of the whole thing, because a lot of the movie is spent, like, 
I don't think it's I don't think it's much of a spoiler. Like, oh, maybe it is. I don't know. No, no, no. A lot of the movie is kind of spent with you being like, "What's going on? Is something sinister happening, or is it a misunderstanding right. kind of thing?" And the more yeah, it plays a lot of that. Like, is this a cultural difference, or am I being taken advantage of? Yeah, right. And so then the more like a lot of these weird cultural differences and kind of odd coincidences start to sort of add up, the more you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like the first time they're like, drink this. It's like, oh, okay, cool. It's yeah. just part of the ceremony. And, and then, then the last time they're like, drink this. Like the and sixth it's like, time someone's like, drink fuck. this. Yeah. They're like, I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a lot of like murals and mosaics and paintings and things on the walls that sort of um, allude to and hint to like what's going to happen in the festival later on. And the sort of that sort of stuff happens and comes about later in the film that's interesting. So shit, like, there's a lot of Swedish uh, or ancient runes in this film, and all of those runes are meaningful to the film itself. Yeah, that's cool. And I thought it, it, for me, it felt like it added depth and cultural complexity. Yeah, so, like, a lot of the... I, I think a lot of the... Not just, like, the filmic symbolism, but also the, the actual cultural and uh, on-screen artistic symbolism yeah. in this film um, is directly relevant to... The storyline and the milieu and, and all that sort of stuff, which is really clever. Yeah. So that's yeah. cool. Mm. Um, something that I really enjoyed was a lot of the cinema cinematography in the film was really cool. Specifically, a lot of shots and the composition of the shots, you could tell he was having a lot of fun with it. Yeah. In the same way as like Hereditary seemed like he really gave a shit about that movie. Like it's something I liked in Hereditary a lot was the dioramas and the sort of scene transitions where the house was like a doll's house I, almost. I, I read an interesting comparison where all of the art and um, representations of the storyline stuff in this yeah. film function in the same way that the doll house does in Hereditary. That's so really he's cool. using that same kind of like, not framing narrative. It's almost a bit of like showing off where he's like, I can show you the plot of my movie and you don't know it yet. But like then when you look back, you'll be like, uh, he spoiled the plot of the movie. Like the shots are a metaphor almost for like what's or happening. Or li a literal representation of what will happen later. It's a lot of like, oh, you'll love it watching you're <laughs> yeah. watching it back with a friend and be like, oh, that's what that means. Exactly. Oh my God. Yeah. Re yeah, remember yeah. that bit. Look at that. Remember yeah. that later. Remember that. This won't ruin your experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, something I really liked. Uh, the cinematography was fucking great. Yeah. You were talking about that. Sorry. Yeah. So speaking of like shots to watch out for, if you go and watch this movie off the back of our review, I really liked right at the beginning of the movie, there are a couple shots where I watched like, oh, it's really cool. Like there's a bit where she bursts into tears and slams the door as she goes into a bathroom. And as she slams the door, the camera sort of pans up Goes and over, the over top of as if it's like a set. And as the door slams, it transitions to a different room that she's crying in, which, that she's just closed. It, 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 uh, yeah, it's I in. I feel a, like it's being it's, clear. It's in an air, uh, an airplane bathroom yeah, now. Yeah, it, it jumps it like two weeks into the future or whatever as he, it pans and the door closes. There's another shot where um, the film we haven't really mentioned is partly like a breakup movie. And Ari Aster said in a couple of interviews that's kind of what he was going for. He wanted it to be like a a breakup movie where what you feel when you go through a breakup, like the world is ending. Just and want like, to burn it all to the ground. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I hate this person. Um, and, you know, I, I bet this person's going to fucking do all this stuff and this stuff and this stuff actually gets enacted in real life in a right. movie. And so it's almost like the main character's subconscious comes to life mm. through the crazy psychotic shit that happens as the film goes on, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, and so as part of that, like, thematic... Uh, element of the film where it's showing these two people breaking up and growing apart there's a scene where they go into her apartment after a night out or whatever and the shot is of the an internal shot of the front door of the apartment 
and it opens and they go in and it closes and she stays with her back up against the front door and he continues to go on and sit on a lounge chair on the other side of the room and they're both in shot as the camera's facing the front door because you can see him through a reflection in the mirror. There's a mirror next to the door that shows him in the background. So he's walked all the way out of frame but they're next to each other and facing opposite directions. It's very cool. It's really cool. It seems like it's like, oh yeah, he used a fucking mirror. Who cares? But... the shot composition is excellent. I th- yeah, I think I've explained that like psychotically, but I feel like you get the <laughs> yeah, point. I was kind of like, what are you talking about with the mirror and, and yeah. this and this and this? The point is, they're both right next to each other in the frame, but she is in the shot and he is a reflection in a mirror ages away in like the next room. I think it's one of those shots where, okay, so there's like a, a few different levels that you can be operating on when you're constructing a shot like that. And I'm assuming his DP, his director of photography was also like... <laughs> his double... Yeah, I'm assuming when he when he was getting both holes plugged, he was also thinking about this. Ari, I'm assuming his director of... Ari Aster. <laughs> Storyboard. Ari Aster mouth. Whilst airtight. <laughs> Don't cut that. <laughs> I'm not cutting Ari Aster mouth. That's fucking funny. <laughs> this is all staying in. Speaking of all staying in... Um, <laughs> The shot. Okay, so yes, there's there's like a few different <laughs> levels that you're operating on here, um, and I'm assuming that um, uh, Ari Aster's director of photography is partially responsible for for these types of shots as well. Yeah. Um, where like one, you're just filming a film to tell the story, just flat out, blah 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 blah. Like yeah. I just want to get this over and done with, and I want it to be that kind of like you know when people talk about like editing, it's only it's only. Uh, like it's perfect if no one, no one ever notices it. Yeah. I think that's not quite true because I think that it's perfect if no one notices it, and then it it above that it's effective and people don't notice it, and then above that it's effective and people notice it. Yeah, and I think this film had a bunch of shots where not only was the the editing is uh, sorry the, the shot composition and the cinematography and the editing is all constantly at least. Excellent to the point where you don't notice that it's there. Yeah. Sometimes it's excellent and I feel like it just serves to build the tone. But then sometimes with shots like the one that you described, it's excellent. And I could tell they fucking thought about how they could get both characters on screen in that way. And they're like, oh, wouldn't it be cool? Like, wouldn't I, that seems I like the kind of thing of where it's is. like, exactly. wouldn't it be cool if she just walked in the room and he just walked straight out of frame? And they're like, well, wait a second. We also want to see his reaction, but what if it's like fractured and broken and weird? And it's like, well, just still do that, but have a mirror there. Yeah. They've had to like actively think about it, but it's, and it, like a lot of fucking effort goes into constructing a frame like that. Yeah. So, uh, and, and there's a lot of those in this. I film. think there's a lot of, I think that's probably a lot of what it is. Like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we did it like this? I watched a video essay um, shot. About um, <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> 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 Fuck you. That's two. <laughs> I watched a video essay about uh, analyzing the editing and shots in Edgar Wright movies yeah. and the way in which he uses editing to get more jokes. And it was a similar kind of thing where the, the uh, it might have been fucking nerd writer or something. We're talking Probably. about how like um, look at the way in which like this could have just been a shot showing whatever it's showing. But then Edgar Wright thinks, well, no, how can I show this but also 
get a joke in there right. and it forces you to be like oh wouldn't it be cool if I did this and it's the same thing where like you sort of go oh wouldn't it be cool if the edit sort of cuts and like you know it's the person there and then that person moves and the whole background around them changes right. and that's like a funny way of changing the scene or whatever Yeah. and in the same way it's like ah, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we had a scene where like the door slams and it cuts two weeks in the future right and it's because most editors are thinking right how do I seamlessly show the transition between these two scenes but he's going right I don't want to seamlessly show the transition you know there's an edit there there's yeah. no point trying to I'm not trying to kick dirt over that to hide it yeah. I'll use it and so it's almost breaking the fourth wall where the camera pans over the set to show the other half and it's an airplane door instead of the bathroom right. door and instead Which of Asta going for like a joke he's going for like well what if I make it a dramatic transition but yeah. it's very clear that this is a film transition mm. so yeah I think that works really really well there's a bunch of times where he does that technique of like going around a set wall and you can tell like well that that wouldn't be there but it just allows the camera what I feel like it does is I don't feel like it makes the sets feel like they're not real places I feel like it allows the camera a bit of an omnipresent yeah. quality where it, it's like point. it can move through all of the walls and it's just sort of this uh I, I did feel, okay, maybe this is contributing to it. I did feel less threatened by this film than I felt like uh, with Hereditary. And maybe it's because that camera had that really observational quality to it where it didn't feel like I was participating in what happened. It felt like I was watching what was happening. Yeah. And I'm not able to be harmed if I'm watching what's happening as much as I am with like Hereditary where I'm participating with what happens. I feel like it plays a good line between the two depending on how he wants you yeah, to feel. So there's, both. there's a good scene where... Uh, the main guy I don't remember what his name is um, is it Mark or Nick or something it's some fuck's Josh. name Christian Christian that's right the main guy Christian you were really close with Mark, Mark. Nick and Josh <laughs> uh, fr- fr- Frank Franklin Travis <laughs> Steve uh, the, the main guy what was it Christian Christian um, fuck uh, one of the Swedish dudes is like oh this lady wants to see wants to see you in her hut yeah, and he goes into the, like the waiting room and then into the main room of this house, and that's one of the scenes where the camera just pans. That's one I was thinking from of from yeah. the first room to the next room, like. And he walks through a door on the other side of the house, and the camera to the pans, one that the, the camera, camera pans goes. through the wall. Right, right. Um, and I think in that case, it is yeah, exactly. It's like in that case, the audience is omnipresent, and you're like a ethereal. Yeah, you're like, yeah, exactly. Like an ethereal observer to the scene and nothing can happen to you. And it's just like, I just want you to watch this scene for what it is and observe everything. And you almost feel like you're all knowing and you know more than the character does. But then there's and you can still scene. kind of feel empathy for what's going on for that character, but you don't feel endangered. Yeah. But then there are other scenes that I think we, I, I really like to be like, fuck, imagine having to direct that whole scene. It almost felt like the scene that would have been happening on the day that they would have had to put together with all the actors and the sets and everything would have had to be a complete 360 scene and he just randomly chose where to point the camera in the moment like there's a, there's a May I mean it's it's not a spoiler it's a May Day midsummer ceremony there's a May Day dance kind of scene a Maypole where they dance. dance around the Maypole um, and that scene specifically has like a cinema cinematographic sh- uh, depiction of that 
where the camera is like handheld and is like dancing through the women that are dancing in the in middle circles. of like 30 maypole dancers uh, yeah around the maypole and you're just like god imagine having to run a crew <laughs> through that imagine having to have the you know the, the the camera running backwards through all these dances and direct the dances and have the dancers not fuck up and you'd have to just have everything going on it's not as if what's behind the camera is not happening I yeah. feel like no one knows where the camera's pointing and even like the thing is behind the maypole dancers like you you also have another sixty people who are sitting yeah, in the like background a, of that like shot. Yeah, hundred extras all <laughs> yeah. together, and like, it was like a continuous shot too. Yeah, yeah. And so you really feel in you really feel in, uh, you really feel like you're a part of that scene, and like right. you're really invested in it. Not only to mention because in that scene, a lot of the characters are on psychedelic drugs, and it's mm. distorting the visuals of what you're actually seeing, just like the characters would be that you're watching that have just taken yeah. the drugs. There's another scene right as they walk into the village for the first time and it feels like the cameraman is one of the hikers that's hiked into this village right. that I really enjoyed. And it really... I, I felt like I was integrated. So I sort of see what you mean about sort of being an omnipresent, safe observer sometimes. But then sometimes also, it really does integrate you in there and it really does make you feel like you're one, you're, you're the sixth member of their team walking in with them and experiencing everything which I really enjoyed I think that those, some of those some of the most fun times I had were almost broke me out of it where I was like I had to get that shot that's yeah, yeah, really yeah. cool yeah where it just felt like Ari Ari As was sort of challenging himself yeah. to be able to pull off a shot I really like when directors do that sort yeah, of stuff it seems like yeah it's, it seems like it was what it, like you ever watch a shot where um, we watched one during the week where it was like a one take uh, scene in an apartment that was like four seasons changing of the apartment or whatever, but it was really just like them rapidly changing the set behind the camera as the camera rotated. It's hard so to describe. It, the it point was meant is to be a continuous shot of like a, a a drug addict recovering over like twenty years, and so yeah. it shows her like changing her clothes and changing her apartment and changing as the herself and pans stuff. around the apartment, and it's just literally going in circles. Yeah. Um, but what it actually is is like a crew of sort of twenty people, <laughs> like rushing, moving furniture as soon as they get out of frame, and then like running back with a fucking different couch and, and like four body doubles <laughs> and yeah. But as soon as yeah. the shot ends, everyone makeup sh- artists like frantically yeah. off the side. Yeah, <laughs> as soon as the shot ends, everyone cheers and goes yeah. Yeah, it's like an OK Go music video. Exactly. Yeah, and I imagine a lot of the shots in Midsummer would have been like that. Like yeah. they got it. We're like. Yes! Fuck yes! Yeah. Fuck yeah! No one we fucking got it. tripped over the cameraman. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so I, re- I, f- <laughs> I really enjoyed a lot of aspects of this film. Mm. Like, I don't think I was really look. I was really looking forward to being scared by this movie, and right. I was really looking forward to being a terrifying horror movie. Mostly because I'm not a horror movie kind of guy, but Hereditary was the scariest movie I've ever seen. That fucking movie. Um, yeah, and so okay, I was so expecting that again. Let's jump. And back this wasn't that for a sec. So okay, the we've talked to, about the general plot without spoilers. Yeah, talked about the cinematography. Um, I think the acting in this film was really good. I agree. It was uh, very good. There's the a lot writing of the, was extremely natural. A lot of the start acting at the start when the main character has that sort of personal tragedy is really good. Yeah, she and just she, like she she straight up like goes from not crying at all to like ugly crying like on camera like a few times because yeah. like there are things that you can do to make it look like someone's just been crying and she starts being fine and 
fucking cries. And it does it does a really good job of being really relatable where yeah. someone will say something that they sort of don't really even really think about and thinks is nothing and that'll set her off and she has to like go into the next room and cry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's really a lot good. of like extremely technically impressive performances in this film. Yeah, um, absolutely. Which I enjoyed a lot. And uh, the sound as well, I think. That's something that Hereditary did really well. It just always felt... It feels like he uses sound in exactly the right moments to make you feel a certain way. Yeah. Often just f- fucking afraid or, or um, just, yeah, you know, build tension or, or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, this, this may not specifically be what you're talking about, but I really like the score. Yeah, 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 yeah. All of it. The score, like, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of folk singing and, like, drumming in this movie that's often diegetic. Yeah, like, um, you'll see watching people playing, in the background. playing the flute and playing drums and shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that is sometimes, sometimes that feels exactly like you would expect at a music folk festival where it's quite joyous, but yeah. sometimes he's done it so it's like off key and really uncomfortable. And it's sort of like, it exactly lends itself the right tone because of the instrumentalism of the pieces of music. But yeah. it's, it, he, it's like, right, well, what do I want this piece to be saying right now? Do I want the listener to be uncomfortable or do I want them to feel kind of reassured <laughs> there's a lot of stuff where like there's, there's a shot right as they it's the bit obviously we went before where they're walking into the village um, and the camera's like one of the people tracking in where it's these like three recorders playing in like a discordant kind of harmony if that makes sense with this really repetitive like do 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 and it's really yeah, unsettling. It and I'm like, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And then the camera pans over, and it's three Swedish motherfuckers with with recorders. Like, well, why would they be playing that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Fucking, it's terrifying awful. ass <laughs> yeah. children of the corn shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a bunch of times where I was like, you can't think that sounds good. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, All right, that is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. oh, it doesn't matter who you are. If you live in the village, <laughs> it's just like, can you can you three dickheads? Stop that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I think, like, technically, one of the reasons why, I, I, you know, I think Hereditary swept me off my feet. Yeah. And clawed my fucking insides out and just, like, harvested my brain. I loved it, though. Yeah, and I loved that about it. I think <laughs> this film was probably just as impressive, and if I hadn't seen Hereditary, I might have thought the same. Mm. But it, because of that uh, repeated building and releasing of tension, I think it wasn't for me quite as enjoyable but I still enjoyed I still enjoyed it a shitload yeah and I think it's it's still an extremely impressive film with very good storytelling I think if you wanted to like learn how to do certain things this film would be fucking excellent um as we talked about like the the plot is really excellent and coherent the dialogue's great performances are great all yeah. of it, like cinematography, editing, sound, it's all, an, it's an excellently, very tight film. I just think the story is a lot slower than I had expected. Yeah, we just yeah. had different expectations, I think, because of Hereditary. And yeah. I do feel like it's being unfairly held to that, but it is hard to separate the two in my head. Well, I've heard several people complain they didn't like Hereditary because it gets kind of comically silly in how demonic it gets towards the end. I did not experience that. Which I can sort of see, but I kind of enjoyed that, the way uh, it sort of got yeah. crazier and crazier that and was crazier. super long for Yeah, me too. It felt almost like Hereditary was doing what shitty horror movies are often attempting to do and doing badly, 
Whereas this was kind of taking a departure from the conventional thing and it was going for that, as you say, like folk horror, like Wicker Man style thing. And yeah. still, because it's Ari Aster, doing a much better job than those types of films ordinarily would. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah, I think it's like, like Christ, it's worth seeing. I think, um, I think it's really worth seeing. I, I, I liked it a lot. One thing that we found very frustrating, and I don't know if oh, you'll be yeah. able to check this before you go into the movie, because I've heard, seen people complaining about it on Reddit, which makes me think it wasn't just localized to our cinema. I think it's Australia-wide. Our version of the movie was cropped so that you couldn't see the subtitles on the bottom. You, if there were two lines of subtitles, you could see the top line, but yeah. not the bottom line. And <laughs> if there was only one line, you could only see the tops of the letters. So we missed out on a lot of the Swedish dialogue to in be, this film. To be fair, they don't they don't speak it that much. There's probably five minutes of the movie in total where they speak in Swedish, but it's a key right. plot point of the movie yeah. where like a character will be like, "What the fuck's going on?" and they'll answer in Swedish. And yeah. like, right. Well, so I wish I spoke Swedish right now. And like, I guess it was more immersive because it meant that like we were having yeah. the lived experience of the characters <laughs> a little bit. Some more. Serious lost in translation. <laughs> like, shit. Yes. Yeah, some guys like. Some guy tries to piss on a tree and some guy like runs over and tries to stop him and you're like, is that because it's the ancestral tree? It's like, yes, it's because of fucking ancestral tree, but we didn't get the subtitle that <laughs> said, yes, it's because it's the fucking ancestral tree. <laughs> we so, just got like, guy pisses on tree, gets yelled at in Swedish yeah, yeah, for three like, minutes. Almost gets murdered for it, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, which is frustrating. So I don't know if you better check that if you're in Australia. I, I think there's no way it. around it. And like, honestly, that sounds like it ruins the movie. And we did get a free ticket from Denny oh out of yeah. it. So, I mean, yeah. Go abuse your local Try it on. <laughs> but from what we understand in a way that um, having both uh, been a cinema professionals... Um, Nightmare scenario when that happens. I think that... Oh, yeah. So <laughs> this film has ruined... <laughs> So many cinema worker shifts for yeah. people coming out of the movie and being like, "What the fuck was that?" Oh man! So I had um I, when I was working at the cinema when Gone Girl came out, I hadn't seen it, and I was charged to be like um standing at the usher stand ripping tickets and shit on that day. And there was like a three minute window where I had to go off and do something else, and like five of the loudest, ockerest Australians ever. Probably absolutely smashed off their faces. Oh, man. Saw their ticket and walked straight into Cinema One, regardless of the fact they were half an hour early. And apparently, like, yelled and talked about, like, so what are you doing on the weekend, Diane? Right through, like, the last 30 seconds of Gone Girl, which is apparently, like, this, like, crazy twist. I've I've seen it, but I don't remember. Big moments. This crazy, twisty ending where there's, like, several very important lines right at the end. Or you don't even know if they're important if you get five people yell over them. So I had, like... 50 people come out and be like, what well, What did they say at the end? What did they, What was the ending? I'm like, I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> These people just mostly furious that I hadn't already seen the movie. Yeah, and were like, also, like, If you could keep the people out, whatever. But if you could have told me what they said, then... It would have been fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell me the bloody end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if they could have just given me a five-minute pamphlet... Was she gone being, or like, was she girl? <laughs> Will I go or will I go? Very good. Um, yeah, so I reckon, uh, from what we understand, that is an issue with the formatting of the digital cinema file that has been given to Australian cinemas. Australian cinemas. And because they were like, yeah, we tried to fix it and you can't. There's nothing we can do. And we we're like, right, well, um, that's not our fucking problem. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. sounds like it's 
your problem. <laughs> yeah, right. This isn't going to devolve into like a fucking like Yelp review. But the point is, even though we missed the five minutes of spoilers, the, the five minutes of su- subtitles, I don't think it adversely. No, you can definitely watch this movie anywhere. Just be aware of it. It's definitely annoying. In. And if and and by by, uh, hopefully they fixed it by the time that anyone that's listening to this. Yeah, uh, tries to go and see the movie. Yeah. And you should. It's a great movie. That definitely, as we say, did not uh, really compromise the experience, especially if you know it's coming. Because I think yeah. half of it was like, is this shit going to go away or what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and every time subtitles came up, we were like, like oh, fuck, fuck it, fuck. I think it's about all we got for our spoiler-free review. What do you reckon? Yeah. yeah? And to be honest, like, I-, I think we've talked about most of what's really intriguing about this film besides a bunch of the moments of like, Whoa, what yeah. about that? Yeah. <laughs> that the spoilers kind of afford. Yeah. Um, so I think you haven't missed out on much. Just go and watch the movie. I and also give yeah. Ari Aster your fucking money. He's yeah. an extremely talented writer and director for both of these movies. Yeah. He, and and uh, you just aren't, I think, seeing that, getting general cinematic releases... Um, I'm a big fan of writer-director type stuff. Where it oh, feels, yeah. It feels more like it's one person's creative vision. Obviously, other people are involved, but like yeah. I, I feel like it's a lot more like it's one person's baby and they're just trying to get it up. This film uh, absolutely shits on the face of what I've talked about where people rely on darkness a lot in horror movies because one of the plot points is literally that the sun doesn't go down. Right. I so, feel like that was weakened for me by the fact that I was never scared. If if Sure. If this movie had been terrifying and the sun never... Because, yeah, it's in midsummer have you, you, you haven't been there, right? No. Because I've been to Norway when there's like four hours of sunlight a day... Uh, four hours of nighttime a day. That's crazy. I've woken up to sun streaming my face and my watch has said 3 a.m. And I've oh, gone, fuck. oh, my watch is fucking broken. My watch is working perfectly. It's 3 a.m. It's extremely unnerving. So I got a very excellent sense of like being fucking unnerved by this place from uh, that type of shit. Well, no, I no, I didn't I didn't get any of that. I got, I got a lot of it, to me this felt like it would have been it felt like a concept where it was like wouldn't it be great if I could do a horror movie that was all in the daytime. Yeah. And then I watched but it was like Imagine if they were running around and all the shit was happening at night. I feel like it would have been like yeah, but I think it's I think dark, dark is inherently scary because it's the unknown. That's and why I think it's cheap, and it's a visual unknown. Like so, like it, as opposed to like, I don't know what to think, or I don't know what that person's thinking. It's like no, I can't see, and it, it, I it's know, like, but that's yeah. why I feel like it's a crutch. And my point is that I think it's impressive that he's managed to make things tense and scary anyway, despite not having to rely on that crutch. Because Hereditary did su- take place a lot during the dark, yeah, and I don't think that's why it was scary, but I think it did. Definitely help. Well, I yeah, ex- I think it and did he's help like, exactly. He's kind of like thrown off that safety net in this film, and well, he said like, "Well, I can't do anything in the dark. Well, Fucking uh, can I?" I would rather think that he wasn't trying to do a horror movie, and that this was just a thrill, a, a suspenseful drama during the day, rather than him being like, "Oh, but I can make a movie that's scary during the day." See, because then I would have been like, "Well, no," because that was. It this wasn't was really scary. way less scary than her right. So if anything, this would prove to me the yeah. thesis that films are more scary when they happen in I, the dark. I, I think our points aren't at odds because I agree that I don't think he was going for exactly the same thing. I think it's and the it's same. not like, oh, I'll, this time I'll do it again, but in the light. Yeah, so, I think it's like yeah. a square rectangle gritty reboot thing where it's like, well, I can definitely see how it'd be very easy to use that as a crutch. Yeah. But not every single film that uses that is a fucking hack Completely film agree. Yes, yeah. completely agree. Uh, I think it's worth seeing. I yep. don't think it's as good as Hereditary, but again, it's like a different kind of thing. I don't know. I, think I also it, don't think it's worse than Hereditary. I just think we've seen it. 
I, I don't know. I'd be. I would love to hear the opinions of people. I, I, I watched Hereditary twice and liked it both times. I don't think I'd really want to watch this movie again. Yeah, but yeah, but like, how much of that was the impact that Hereditary had on you the first two times that you watched it? That's fair. I, uh, something that because we, we were talking to your partner who doesn't really like horror movies, and we were talking about how we've like oh, who's also know, an anthropologist, so I'm going to try and get her to watch. Yeah, this right. Movie, exactly. Like, it's a movie about anthropologists. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think that this film. Would you'd really like it if you don't like horror movies, or not? You have a chance of really liking it and not being put off by the fact that it's a horror movie, right? Because I think that it's just a thriller movie where there's a couple gory bits that you just don't have to watch. Um, yes, I would be interested to see how much this scared people that normally like. You know how there are some people that actually can't deal with watching a scary film. Like if you go and see a, a scary movie with them, they're like. They'll turn away from the screen, or they'll like yeah. completely cover their eyes. They'll be like, "No, I'm, I'm just, I'm going. Like, yeah. I'm not, I'm physically can't watch this." I, I feel like this film doesn't generate that sensation. No, as much it doesn't. I don't think as, it's scary as at you all. were saying. And if that's what you mean by scary, then I guess yeah, it's just really for me, tension and being scared are like two very similar emotions. So I feel the same concurrently a lot of the time. But I think that's one of those interesting things about horror movie and comedy movies, uh, in general, is that they're so comedy. Subject- <laughs> is that they're so subjective that yeah. someone can say oh, this was terrifying and then you can watch it and be like oh that was fine and then be like man I wish I'd found that terrifying it's like a lot of like Will Ferrell movies like I wish I found this funny because if that's the sort yeah. of shit that you find funny because if you're one of the fucking so many of them hooting so apes that finds those funny <laughs> boinking swine that think <laughs> the Will Ferrell movies well, I think horror movies specifically is obviously like different shit scares different people like it I imagine if you found clowns scary would be so much more scary than the way it is otherwise. Hey, did you hear they're remaking it? No, 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 <laughs> yeah. no. But like otherwise, I don't think there's much else about it other than like, oh, it's kind of gory and it's kind of violent and it's got a bit of suspense to it. It's like the clown is doing a lot of the heavy lifting there. And similarly right, with this, right, like right. I imagine there's a lot of thematic bits that I can't quite put my finger on that are like, if you find this scary, this is, yeah, if you just find general creepy... Friendly people that look friendly, but to give you this gen- this creepy kind of ick. I think factor. it's more unnerving than scary. Yeah, and I think I think for a lot of people that might be the most effective way of like. I want to watch scary the shit. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's really good. <laughs> I think that's about all we got, right? Yeah. Um, worth worth seeing. I didn't personally think it was. Even though they're going for different things, I would enjoy the different thing that Hereditary does more than the different thing that this does. Yeah. I think it had a lot of artistic merit, but. Great film. Uh, bits that I was kind of bored by it. Uh, I, yeah, I didn't. I did not find that, but I understand where you're coming from, and I think it's a reasonable appraisal. Oh, it's, got, get... it's getting slightly worse reviews, and I think that's probably like, I think there's probably a bit of a reason for that. Yeah. Um, have you got much to stay on spoilers? Uh, as I said, not other than like just wanting to be like, Whoa, what about, about certain moments. All right, yeah. let's do it for a little bit anyway. So, we, you know what? We've given you a tag to skip the spoilers anyway. Yeah, so yeah, if you let's all just want to skip go. us being like, what about <laughs> yeah. that bit? Then you can yeah. skip it. Yeah, um, yeah. For a start, I think my favorite bit of the movie, and you were talking about spikes and troughs, it seems to me like a lot of the film set up this huge, horrific, um, terrifying shit that happens at the start of the movie, and the rest of the movie is kind of living in that event's shadow. So, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Skip the bit we've told you if you don't want to have the ending spoiled, any of the thematic shit spoiled. Um, at the very beginning of the movie, the thing that takes you completely by surprise, uh, that sort of sets up the tragedy that Danny goes through, is that her bipolar sister murders their parents. Murder-suicide. And then kills herself 
by filling their apartment with car Burn exhaust. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like it ru- runs like a hose up from the garage to the apartment and gaffer tapes it to the door and gaffer tapes the hose into her own mouth. It's really it's, grotesque it's such shit. sick imagery as well. Yeah, like he well does, that's, this was the hereditary bit exactly. of the film. Yeah. Where I thought like, oh, I'm fucked. Yeah. That, that already <laughs> yeah. was like, that was the most terrifying I Just was. like, you know how like humans wearing gas masks is fucking terrifying? Having a human with a hose leading from an exhaust pipe up where like, their eyes are open but they're gaff- dead. That oh, is man. fucking... It was, I can see it in my like in front of my eyes. That is that's sticking with me. And that pops up a couple times in the movie as like an image. Also, it starts with a shot of her parents, and you don't realize, but they're already dead. Yeah, exactly. And so like she is, ta- she's haunted by these images for the rest of the film. And so when she's in Sweden and she's on the psychedelic drugs, sometimes that pops up and she's reminded of it. Um, a when, lot of the- yeah, when the old couple jumps off the uh, rock, she gets like. Post-traumatic flashbacks about, yeah, about her, her parents dying. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so a lot of that I thought was really good, but I felt like that was a really effective, but also to the film's detriment, a really effective way of having the whole film sort of be even more suspenseful and kind of creepy and weird because of the shadow that leaves on the movie, right? Right? Like, it shows you this crazy traumatic shit that she has to sort of think about and deal with the rest of her life. And at the same time, we have to sort of think, like, it could ramp back up to that at any point. And so we're we're sort of stuck with almost the same PTSD that the character does, where it shows you this insanely grotesque thing right at the start of the movie. And then for the rest of the movie, you're thinking, like, fuck, that was crazy. What if any of this shit could just ramp up to that with no warning? Yeah. Just like it did for her. So you feel like it peaked way too early. It's it, uh, that, but that's the downside is that it peaks. Re- it peaked really early for yeah. me. That was the most terrifying part of the movie. But it also kind of meant that I don't think the movie, the rest of the movie for me, wouldn't have been as re- weird and suspenseful if it hadn't started with that. Right. Because I think it sort of has to sort of set the stakes high early and be like at any point in time I could get you back to that. And it sort of it ke- keeps that keeps you thinking about that in the back of your mind for the whole movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I enjoyed that, and then maybe maybe I did feel the same way. I think I said to you at the end of it, like I don't really know how, like whether or not I enjoyed that a lot or as much as Hereditary or what. I just I need a bit of time to think about it. I think I just enjoyed them for really different reasons. But I definitely understand what you're talking about with that, like how it starts off really, um, yeah, like with that really strong horror imagery. Yeah, and then sort of changes into that like bright folk horror right mode but never returns to that yeah i yeah i think it's interesting that that grotesque horror imagery is the only time they show you some of that for like the first two hours of the movie really other than the cliff jumping scene where the old people jump off the oh there's other shit like um so like the vivisection where someone's uh which i can't remember which character it was um, it was a British dude, and he's hung, strung up in the chicken coop, like with his lungs out of his back and shit. That like, was no, that was the American guy that peed on the tree. No, he was skinned alive. The it was the um, British boyfriend. Yeah. So like, it's kind of hard to keep track of which fates before which characters. Yeah. So the first time that the film gives you an inkling that something might seriously be going wrong is when this British couple are like, fuck this, this is kind of weird, we're leaving. Yeah. And then 20 minutes later, the man in the couple goes missing. And the chick, the chick's like, where's my fiancé gone? 
and they go, oh no, he went to the he station. He already left. He went to the station before you. He'll meet yeah. you at the train station. And she said, that's crazy. He was just, he wouldn't leave without me. And then she goes, and that's the first time you're like, oh, have they, have they taken him? What's yeah, going and on? you know, like, you know that that's not true. You yeah. know he's lying to her. But there's just nothing you can do about it. And that I feel like that was actually one of those quiet moments of dread because, A, it was a really interesting, like, I, I got, like, a dollhouse-style imagery. Like, the shot composition was really f- interesting in that scene where the um, bunkhouse that they're sleeping in was there and it's sort of like this really faraway shot where all three characters are visible but they're standing, like, 10 metres apart from <laughs> each other. Okay. And I got this dread from it because it was the moment that I realised, like, even if... Danny wants to leave. She can't because they'll just try and kill her. Yeah. So she's a hundred percent stuck there. But she's realizing she's stuck there by listening in to a conversation that she's not a part of. So she's sort of passively realizing it. Yeah. I thought it. Yeah, that was a really interesting way to to go about doing that. Um. Yeah. Okay. I think it was uh Simon was the character's name. The British. The British dude. Yeah. And yeah, they. So he's the guy that initially is like said to have left early, and they uh, later he's found by Christian, and he is he's hung up by, um, like his fucking ribs, and uh, he's actually still alive, but they've cut his back completely open, which apparently was a they've cut his back open and they've pulled out his lungs through the back of his ribs. And he's Ugh. still still alive, and his liver out the yeah. back as well. And then they've hung him there, and he's alive and breathing. Jeez. Probably going to die of, like, fucking sepsis. <laughs> uh, which apparently was a real torture technique from Norse mythology. That's fucked. Yeah. Uh, called something about, like, the some some sort of eagle. <laughs> it's just a little um, treat for the people that are up, <laughs> up to date on their Norse, myth- <laughs> Norse mythological tortures. The blood eagle. Fuck. Yeah. Um, incredible. Norse poetry is fucking hardcore, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they... Um, that's how he dies. They skin uh, William Poulter, the fool. That's yeah. why the children are talking about skinning the fool. Um, that's He gets killed by the dude who's angry that he pissed on the ancestral oh, tree. Oh, wears his face as a yeah, mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he also kills uh, the... Other anthropologist that steals the Josh, yeah, that steals the uh, that takes text. photos of the texts. Yeah. He doesn't steal it; he takes photos. Yeah, of um, yeah, and uh, he is just killed. I think. Yeah. Oh, oh right. And so the, the main character, the main character's uh, partner, Christian, yeah, gets killed by being sewn into a bear suit, sewn yeah. into a, a bear. gutted out bear skin. And then burnt alive as part of this ritual at the very end of the yeah. film. Um, that is apparently lifted straight from the Wicker Man. Uh, they burn. They burn the main character in a giant effigy of himself. Yeah, but in the Wicker Man, uh, apparently Nicolas Cage's character wears a bear suit. Like uh, wears okay. a bear exactly the same way. Well, apparently this so is like also from. I, I thought that was also from Norse mythology, but maybe it's just a reference to those types of It could of be a films. coincidence, but it seems yeah. like it's a reference because Arias has mentioned a couple of times in interviews that the Wicker Man is like an, uh, a big influence. A big, big influence okay, for him. Cool. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of different sort of characters going missing throughout the film and they're sort of there um, uh, and then there were none kind of some. I think that was the least interesting 
aspect of the film for me because yeah. I I knew that at some point it yeah, was, and, it, and then there were none is a really good way to put it because I was just like, right, well, when is the next person going to exactly. die? And I think it was kind of one of the reasons why I didn't like it as much was because it was kind of predictable. Right. Like, um, I, even though I'd heard about the Wicker Man, the Wicker Man, the Wicker Man so many times, I honestly had forgotten they were going to burn them at the end of the movie. But then that happened and I felt like, oh, I should have seen this coming. Well, and but also like, you don't know that they're going to... And by the time that they burn them, most of them are already dead. So yeah. it's not quite the same. Yeah, but I suppose. Yeah. So. Well, my main my main issue is that it was kind of predictable. Exactly, just the idea that like yeah. as soon as one person goes missing, and they're like, oh, "I don't know where he is," you're like, "Oh, right." Well, the rest of this movie, well, is this just... yeah, this is gonna happen four more times. Yeah, exactly. And it's not. I so feel like the red of the reasons why it's not interesting is because you don't discover where they all are until like right at the very end, and it shows you them dead. And I think that it's like. Well, this there was no payoff. You just cheekily showed me half an hour to forty-five minutes of people going missing with no payoff, and then right at the very end, I no longer gave a fuck where they were. And so, so, yeah, I agree. But around that part, because I think that was like let's say thirty minutes is devoted to that. Yeah, that was the weakest thirty minutes of the film. Yeah. Around that, you have the extremely great storytelling of the opening act. Yeah, and you also have Christians storyline and Danny's storyline and I think those are both really great especially towards the end of the film where like you get that really fucking weird sexual interaction between uh Christian and I think it's Maya yeah yeah where like she's kind of done all this superstitious shit to him like putting the rune under his bed and (laughs) you know his drink is a different color yeah that's menstrual blood uh, yeah. <laughs> no. And the pube in his pie. I thought they killed uh one of the other guys and, and put that's him in a pie. yeah, and put him in a pie and they were all eating it. But no, she just that's those are all. Oh, maybe that is what that is anyway. But those are all like ostensibly normal pies, and she just baked pubes into his, Hell which yeah. was foreshadowed in that painting at the start where she's like. Yeah, there's right. a woman like cutting her pubes off and putting them in food. So again, you know that was going to happen, but you didn't know where. Yeah. But yeah, um, I think that was really interesting. And then like that entire sequence during Danny is doing the maypole dance, and uh, Christian is like drugged and getting his fuck on. Yeah. Um, was like a really I I feel like that was the 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 upwards trend of the tension in the film where yeah. you were just like this is. Fucked. Yeah. Well, one of the most interesting sort of crit- criticisms or like analyses of the film I heard was someone saying it was like the real coming t- come to life uh, dramatization of like meta- metaphors of like a breakup, where it was like her um, imagining her earlier, imagining yeah. the worst things that he could possibly be yeah, doing, yeah. and that was like in an orgy with twelve people drugged out. <laughs> right. 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 Is what's happening. Right. And like, uh, and that's why she reacts so violently when. She yeah, finds exactly, out. and just and just the idea that like it's like her own imagination and her own like drugged out psychosis sort of nightmares that are sort of coming to life throughout the story and being like when you're in a breakup it does feel like your whole fucking world's ending and like all your friends are being torn away from you mm. um, in a way that they then literally show happened to her and her partner on screen. But yeah, I, think I, I watched liked this. Uh, sorry, yeah. I think I liked the idea of that analysis more than I actually liked it in the movie. Well, and I listened to a... Uh, that's really interesting to say that because I listened to an interview with Ari Aster where he was talking about how, like, for everyone else in this movie, it's a folk horror film. But for yeah. Danny, the main character, 
this is actually a wonderful story of being accepted into a new family. Yeah. And... She's kind um, of being brainwashed and like... Yeah, and she's sort of broken. So I actually wasn't... Maybe that was an initial idea that he had that like led to the conception of this script. But I didn't really feel like that came across too much because she was sort of nervous and horrified the whole time. Yeah. Or she wanted to leave a lot. I never felt like the reason why they were staying was because of Danny. And I feel like if he wanted to try and pull that dynamic where like we watched one character have this one very significant experience in yeah. this thing and all of the other characters be absolutely mortified and want to get the fuck out, they needed to he needed to create more of a differential between Danny and Christian. Yeah. And in fact, like Christian wanted to stay and do his PhD. So, and Danny wanted to go and was like, why are my friends trying to leave? Actually, I am uncomfortable as well. I'm kind of fine to go. Let's just go. Yeah. I feel like at some point there needed to be this U-turn moment where he was like, I want to leave now. And she's like, we should stay because I feel at home. Yeah. Yeah, But that didn't actually happen. It just was sort of that their paths diverged. And then by the time they reconverged, she was completely indoctrinated and he had (laughs) been pushed into a redhead's yeah. fucking fanny. So, uh, yeah, um, that's the thing. Yeah. I watched a video where someone was talking about one of the themes of the movie being control or the lack thereof that people have in their lives and about how maybe they both, you know, he feels like he has no control over whether he can break up with her and that she, they're stuck both going to this on this fucking trip. Right. And then they have no control about, you know, all their friends going missing and the, they're sort of like bounced around this village like a pinball as they have no idea what they're the hell's going on. They're sort of assigned tasks, exactly. like, oh, today you'll be helping yeah, the women, e- yeah. exactly. Like, they don't have any idea really what's going on and they can't leave. And this person was talking about how, like, it's a it's a story about personal growth because Danny eventually becomes the one with the most power and the most control. But I kind of disagree with that. Yeah. Because she's kind of being brainwashed. She's endowed with that. And she's forced to do this May yeah. pole, this May Queen thing that she's not really down with. And I feel like she kind of sees that there's something sinister going on. So it's not as if she can be like, actually, no. And she's been drugged. And then it's like, really, I think the, the main thesis of the argument was like right by the very end of the movie, she gets to pick who dies. And she gets to pick like some rando Swedish dude or her like ex-boyfriend. Mm. And she picks to kill her ex-boyfriend. Um, but I just kind of wasn't really sold on that because I felt like they weren't really themselves anymore. Like it felt yeah. like he was drugged like out. She was t- fucking gone. Yeah, she was gone. He was drugged out of his mind and could couldn't even speak or move. And so it was like, well, there's no real stakes here. You've kind of destroyed the characters that you've built, spent the whole time trying to get me to like. Yeah, so okay, this is really interesting because I, I think it's really getting at the bedrock of why I enjoyed this film slightly less than I enjoyed Hereditary. Even because like... If you look at who I can't remember what the son's name was in Hereditary, but the, Pon, the guy that becomes Ponamon at the end, yeah. he is fucking terrified until the n minus oneth minute of that film. Yeah. Even when people are standing there telling him like you've just been, it, he's Ponamon now, like he's a fucking demon reborn. I think Spoil- it's Palamon. Pelamon? Yeah. What am I? What's Ponamon? Ponamon sounds like a Pokemon. <laughs> I reckon it's something like that. <laughs> Pelamon. Or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, when he's born as the demon, I've said that like five times this episode. People yeah, are it's fucking me screaming at me. It's driven me insane. Uh, you should have done it the first time. And I had something on my face and you just didn't tell me. <laughs> um, he is a, a, a terrified little human yeah. for the, entire, the entirety of the film. And even when he becomes this demon... 
he still appears on screen extremely scared or uncertain and... He's like, what the fuck's happening to me kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. and like, he's confused at least. So like, uh, I don't like know. In, in contrast to Midsommar, like it just kind of seems that they're going with it and rolling with it and there are no stakes, I felt, right? Yeah, and then she kind of has a 180 at the end where like she looks really unhappy about what's going on and then like, oh, she smiles. So like, oh, she's been fully like broken and in I suppose that was what that was supposed to be, right? Like at the very end she yeah. smiles and so she's like, actually, no, I'm happy and I've been brainwashed and this is my family now. I don't know. I just kind of, I wasn't really sold on all of it and I feel like maybe that was part of it. I feel like... Paymon. Paymon, yeah. Yeah, right. I am um, on. Fuck. Um, yeah, we fucked it completely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, sorry if you've been trying to drive a biro through your skull <laughs> listening to Andrew what's, say... What's Ponemon? Ponemon. I think it's nothing. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just I just feel like maybe one of the reasons why I wasn't really sold on it and I wasn't really invested in anything the characters were sort of being forced to do. Oh, the Ponemon Institute is a think tank. <laughs> Hell yeah, dog. Um, when that guy turns into Breitbart at the end of the oh, fuck <laughs> the scariest bit of the whole film <laughs> um, yeah I don't know it just felt like it, it seems to me like they were, it, it was like yeah they're only doing this because they're drugged and so I thought like, right. well that's not scary anyone can drug anyone and just yeah I also here's maybe a controversial take maybe this didn't bug other people I felt like the breathing and swelling that uh, was used as like a film technique like the CGI it was um, kind of annoying I didn't think it really came off. I feel like they would have been better off using physical. Again, it felt like it was extremely subtle and like he used a lot of face distortion type stuff. And maybe it's just my like corrupted millennial brain where I've watched <laughs> too many videos with that type of effect put over the top of them where people's voices like... Yeah, I liked the subtle face distortion stuff where like people would walk past and you're like, were they, were they the was, fuck? Was that f- yeah, that was I really good. That. I just think that the breathing flowers didn't yeah. really come off uh, too uh, well. Exactly. There's one where she's wearing a flower crown and one specific flower oh, There's like, like, a, like a few pulsing. that... Ha- yeah, there's a couple. I thought that looked shit. Yeah, I didn't really like that. Yeah, I don't um, know. So some stuff like that, it's like, oh, okay, you went for something different. Great. It didn't really do badly, but I didn't feel like it came off as, as well as it maybe could have. Yeah. And then yeah. a lot of the foreshadowing stuff I feel in this is cool, but it doesn't really give the film any more merit. Like the thing where he's in that hut and there's a picture of a bear burning on the wall. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's him. It's like, yeah, fine. But like there were a hundred pictures on that wall. Like, mm. uh, I don't know. I don't think it's, I don't get much of a cool factor from like, <gasps> There's a bear burning on the wall, and he looks at the bear burning, and it's him that's gonna burn later. Right. Like anyone could have put a picture on the wall of anything. Like I don't think it, it seems like it. Well, that was foreshadowed twice because it was also the picture of um, the princess wearing the crown in front of the bear, uh, way, 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 way early on before they leave for Sweden at yeah. the start of the film. So, and that's her in the crown when she's wearing a crown of flowers. With I a bear suppose it's it. cool. He foreshadows like, it twice. I'm not saying it is like. Fantastic. It but per- it personally doesn't really get me hard. Like just watching all this stuff, like like a, a picture of the the chick with the pubes, and then the pubes happening. It's f- fine. What you're gonna that like, one was way creepier. Is, that was really creepy. Because like, at least the, the bear burning isn't creepy. It feels like he thinks he's doing a magic trick. Where right. 
it's like, well, no, you can just decide. I'm going what to show you y- the plot yeah. of my film. Literally, like, yeah, I get it, man. You can decide what you're going to do and then put it Count earlier Dracula in the film. Does magic tricks. <laughs> when I have like no chance of being able to understand that's what you're going to do, right? right? Like, no one's going to look at him looking at the picture of the bear burning and be like, I bet he gets thrown into a bear suit and burns up later. Like, yeah, what are you trying to? It's not like a gotcha. Yeah, it's foreshadowing, but it's not foreshadowing that you're meant to be able what, to... I don't know. I suppose it's what foreshadowing is, but I feel like the ham-fisted foreshadowing like that that happens sometimes in films, I'm like, so what? Great. Great. Yeah. So so what? Yeah. It's a bit like what, what we've talked about with shittier films like Ocean's 8, where like stuff's foreshadowed, but then it's like, ah, oh, you fucking idiot. You didn't get that this was the case. And it's like, yeah. well, there was no way that I really could have done that. And also I wasn't trying to because you didn't tell me I should be trying to. So <laughs> Maybe it's more the BuzzFeed articles that are like 10, artic- 10 things you missed in Midsummer that like hinted towards the right, ending. It's like there was a bear on the wall and he was a bear. Yeah, exactly. Like maybe it's just I didn't I suppose miss not that. making a big deal about it inherently is like, oh that's kinda cool. But like I don't know. it's it seems ham fisted yeah. enough that like as soon as you see it happen you're like, oh I remember seeing that in the picture. It's not a fuck, fucking fuck it's not me, an I Easter guess. egg. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. Um Is that about all we got? Yeah, one last thing before we wrap it up. I Podcaster extraordinaire. <laughs> yes. Once every week, we'll read a Wikipedia <laughs> article oh randomly selected, and I've just done it. This one's a good one. Yes, okay, so you've hit random. What did you I've get? Hit random. The Shrank River. <laughs> <laughs> the Shrank River. Shrank River is a three hundred and seventy-two mile. That's five hundred and ninety-nine kilometers. Thank you. Plan in Australia. <laughs> Long River in Russia, <laughs> the main left tributary of the Tamir River, huh. located on the western side of the Tamir Peninsula in the, Jesus Christ, Krasnoyarsk Krai, <laughs> administrative region of the Russian Federation. Fuck. Okay, so if Russia is my, I'm going to hold my left hand out in front of me mm-hmm. with my fingers pointing to the right, that's Russia. Yep. Yeah? So if Moscow is about, we're sort of, the ball of my palm is, I imagine, yep. right? And the North Pole is up where my thumb is, and Alaska is sort of up where the tips of my fingers are. Where's the Shrank River? It's a good question. About where the swimming pool is right in the middle? <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Uh, the answer is my internet disconnected, so I'm not quite sure. Okay. The... Krasnoyarsk, the Krasnoyarsk Cray administrative region, which is the region <laughs> where the river is, yeah. is like right, right here in the middle. So it's like where your where fingers joined to the top of your palm, the top of your palm where your Fuck, fingers joined, right yeah. in the middle of it's Russia. Like slap bang in the fucking middle is there of it. Anything it in the middle of there? Out other of than the, the lake, Shrank River? It flows out of the Lake Tamir northwards across a mountain region into the Tamir Gulf of the Kara Sea. Fuck me. Yeah. I've never thought of there being anything in the middle of Russia. The area of the Shrink Basin is largely uninhabited and desolate, an expanse without modern infrastructure. Fuck. It was explored by Russian biologist and explorer Alexander von Middendorf in 1843. I think Middendorf is the movie we watched this week. <laughs> nice. Anyway. So that's yeah. so crazy to the think. The Shrink that, River. I mean, that's so crazy to think about how big Russia is. Yeah. And just the idea that after Moscow, there must be a whole lot of fuck all. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, with rivers and radiation. Yeah, a lot of radiation. That's there. all that's in Russia. Why couldn't they put Chernobyl way where the Shrank River is? No, that's true. Yeah, they should have done that. 
man, how crazy is Chernobyl? Why couldn't you hit the random <laughs> button and get Chernobyl, huh? <laughs> I'll, I'll do better next time. <laughs> anyway. That was all right. Another good one. Yeah. Yeah. Last right. time we had that fucked Italian football team. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, Who's the goalie of the Shrink River? <laughs> I bet you'll find out before you find the goalie of that fucking yeah, you're hack fucking job right bunch of Italians. Yeah. Um, I think that's about all the time we have left for on this week's episode yes, of Beef Station. Uh, we really enjoyed doing this week's brand new movie, Midsummer Ariasta 2019. If you have anything you want us to cover on the show, or if you have any thoughts about Midsummer, you're welcome to email us. That's beefstationpod at gmail.com. Come like us on Facebook and keep up to date with all the new episodes. we got all these links in the description of the podcast today. Uh, we try to that fucked up Nicolas Cage article so you can yeah. read that. <laughs> I'll have to track that down again. Um, uh, we try and keep, as always, like spoiler warnings and things in the description. Uh, so every week, if you want to avoid spoilers, head down there and click our little links and skip ahead in the time codes and that. Uh, check the description of the episode to find out what movie we're doing next week. We do that, not, maybe not a, lot, not a lot of you know, that every week the description of the episode shows what movie we're doing next week. So if you want to keep up to date and watch the movie before we go and do it, before the episode comes out, you can watch along with us. Uh, yeah, I think that's about all the time we got left for this week's Beef Station. Yep, like yep, us on Facebook, yep. email us. Thanks for joining us. I'm Oscar. Uh, I'm Andrew. Andrew. See you later. Bye.